Can we turn then to the chapter we read? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We shall choose there verse 28 for our meditation this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 28 which reads, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread, and drink of that cup. Title is really self-explanatory, it is self-examination. This is something that Paul said to them here, but he also said much the same to, to them in the second letter also towards the end. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith prove your own selves. Self-examination is important. It is something that a Christian should do on occasions. Examine himself or herself and look into their heart, into their life, obviously under the guidance and illumination of God's Word and the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it is profitable for us. But tonight, friends, I don't wish to uh, probe into looking into our hearts and lives concerning grace or faith or repentance or love towards God or love towards the brethren and these Christian graces that should be seen in all who seek to name the name of Christ and follow him. But tonight I really want to examine ourselves in our understanding of the Lord's Supper. I suspect and I would ex expect that the brethren who will come after us, no doubt they will touch upon these matters that I'm not going to touch upon this evening. So in that sense, friends, this is going to be a kind of revision. It's going to be uh, something that we'll ask ourselves, what actually do we know about the Lord's Supper? Many of us, maybe most of us, have partaken of the Lord's Supper on many, many occasions. And it is possible, even with holy things, to simply go through the motions without really examining what we intend to do or what we should be doing. Well, this is what we want to do this evening. And I have in mind, obviously, a kind of revision for those who may be familiar with our ways and also maybe a word of instruction to those who are not familiar with our ways. So it is with that introduction that I want to look at this text, but let a man examine himself, and so eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Now the first question really is quite elementary, basic, but I wonder if we could answer it. What is the first question? Well, the first question is, what is the Lord's Supper? What is the Lord's Supper? Well, our catechism would teach us 
that the Lord's Supper is a sacrament. And we'll need to explain this. But if we, if we look at our shorter catechism, if we look at question 19, it asks the question, what is a sacrament? And the answer, a sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein by sensible signs, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. And we want to look at this for a moment or two in order that we might have a clear understanding within ourselves what a sacrament is, because the Lord's Supper is a sacrament. There are two sacraments in the Christian church. It is the Lord's Supper, and the other one is baptism. In the Old Testament church, in the Jewish church, there were two sacraments. There was circumcision, and that has been replaced by baptism. And there was the Passover, and that has been replaced by the Lord's Supper. Now, we say it is a sacrament. Well, we, may, we maybe have to ask ourselves the word sacrament. What is it? What does it mean? It's not a word that we find in the Bible, and therefore some might dismiss it, but we won't because it is a very good word and it does accurately describe what we're talking about. It's like the word Trinity or the word infallible. We don't find them in the Bible, but they accurately convey biblical truth to us. So the word sacrament is derived from the Latin word sacramentum, which signified a pledge or oath of fidelity or obedience or consecration, which a soldier takes to his commander on entering the army for the service of his country. And therefore it marks and sets out an oath of allegiance where the soldier would bind himself to his commander and to the army and to fight for the country. He would therefore bind himself under this, this oath and it's called a sacramentum. Now, it has in some sense been adopted by the early church and it signifies the believer and his dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Christian sense, it means the vow of fidelity or obedience or consecration to Christ, which is taken by the believer. And in the case of the Lord's Supper, this is an oath that we take. And when we gather together and when we are around the Lord's table, we are in some sense binding ourselves to Christ. We are acknowledging him as our Lord and as our Savior. We are pledging fidelity or obedience or consecration to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are putting our lives in his hands. And we are seeking to live for his honor and for his glory. And we are seeking to be obedient unto him. That is what a sacrament is. Now the catechism, that thing that we looked at, in the, which I quoted to you earlier, 
it talks about by sensible signs. Christ is represented to us by sensible signs. Now, what does that mean? When we think of sensible, maybe we think of the opposite word of foolish. Well, it's not in that sense that we, we consider that word sensible. Sensible simply means outward. It means something that we can see, something that we can taste, or something that we can smell, something that we can see or taste or smell with our senses. That's what it means when it says sensible signs, something outward, something tangible, something that we can see. In the case of the Lord's Supper, the sensible signs are quite clear and obvious. It is bread. It is the broken bread representing the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the wine which represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes on, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. And that's very important for us. We'll look at these three words, but these things apply to believers, not to unbelievers. The sacraments are church ordinances, and they are for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is, especially with the Lord's table, it is for believers. And what are we told? Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented. When in the will of the Lord, and we sit around the Lord's table on the Lord's day, when we see the elements, what are we seeing? We are actually seeing the gospel being portrayed preached to us or portrayed to us in pictorial form, in pictures. That's what it is. When the bread is broken, it reminds us about the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is to, it is to set forth the gospel in clear, plain terms in order that every one of us can understand. It goes on to talk about being sealed this is something that's sealed to the believer. This is to confirm our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It can be to pledge or to guarantee or to legally certify. That's what it means when it says sealed. And therefore, when we come to the Lord's table, this is something that strengthens and invigorates the faith of the believer. That's why the the Lord's Supper is regarded as a, as a strengthening uh, ordinance. And the Catechism talks about being applied also. This is where it's brought home to our hearts. It becomes a reality to us. It's applied to us personally. We're able to say, like Thomas, when, when we gather around the table and when we see these things, we can say, my Lord and my God. This is what Jesus Christ has done. This is all representing the work of the Lord Jesus Christ.
The Catechism goes on, or the previous Catechism, uh, number 91, says, How do the sacraments become effectual means of salvation? The sacraments become effectual means of salvation not from any virtue in them or in him that doth administer them, but only by the blessing of Christ and the working of his Spirit in them, that by faith receive them. Now there are some important things in that catechism too that we would like to spend a moment upon. There is nothing special in the elements, nothing whatsoever. The bread will always be bread. The wine will always be wine. The Roman Catholic Church teach something completely different. They teach that when the prayer of consecration is made, that the bread literally becomes the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that the, blood, the wine literally becomes the blood. This is nonsense, of course. It is completely against our senses. And we recognize and know for certain that bread represents his body. And the wine represents his blood. And there is no virtue in the person who administers the sacrament. There's nothing in him, the person himself, the minister, nothing in him. The blessing only comes by the blessing of Christ and by the working of his spirit in them that by faith receive them. In other words, there is only a blessing when Christ blesses it. And when the people come to the Lord's table and participate in it by faith. This is another error that the Roman church will teach. They will say that grace comes automatically simply by taking the sacrament. Provided, of course, that the person doesn't resist the grace, they say. And therefore, that's why many people flood to the Mass, because somehow they're taught that grace will automatically follow. And I hope there is no one here that thinks that just because they will go to the Lord's table, that grace will automatically follow. That's not the case. When we come to the Lord's table, we look for the Lord Jesus Christ to bless it. And we come by faith. And we want to see again the gospel being proclaimed to us. There is nothing magical in it whatsoever. Nothing at all. Now to help us maybe understand the Lord's Supper, there are maybe some things that we can note six maybe actions that are, was, was performed by the Lord Jesus Christ 
And in order maybe to help us, we can look at these actions and we, we, we maybe can derive some benefit from them. What actions am I looking at? Well, there are six actions that we find in the Lord's Supper. Four of them were performed by the Lord Jesus Christ, and two of them were performed by his disciples. What's the first action? Well, the first action by Christ was he took bread and wine. He took these ordinary items, bread and wine. This could well remind us about himself. He took a human nature and a reasonable soul. And therefore, when we see the bread and the wine, it should direct us to see Christ himself. Another action he did, he gave thanks. He set apart these items, these elements for holy use. Surely this again should remind us about the Lord Jesus Christ. There came a time in his life when he was set apart. He was baptized and he was set apart for his public ministry and ultimately he was set apart ultimately to die. And therefore, when he, when he gives thanks for these things, it reminds us that he was set apart. Another important action is the breaking of the bread. We might think these things are not significant, but if we're going to follow the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ, then these things are significant, and they do teach us something and help us to understand something more concerning the Lord's Supper. The breaking of the bread, as we have already hinted, it reminds us that his body was broken. There was not a bone of his body broken, not a bone at all, but his body was broken. Nails pierced his hands and feet. A spear was put in his side. And when the bread is broken during that ceremony. It's to remind us that Christ's body, his holy body was broken. Another action, another simple action. He gave the bread and the wine to his disciples. Does this not remind us that Christ is a gift to sinful mankind. Here he is, he's giving the bread, the wine. The bread representing his, his body and the wine representing his blood. There are two actions performed by the disciples which are important for us also. They took the bread and cup. They took it. They received the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is something that we must do before we can come to the Lord's table. We must receive him. It's, it's not enough just to hear about him. It's not enough to, to know about him. It's not enough indeed to admire him. 
We must actually receive him. That's what they did. They received the bread and the wine. They actually received it from Christ. And they went on. They ate the bread and they drank the wine. This is surely teaching us that they were dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we do when we come to the Lord's table. We feed upon his body and blood spiritually. Not in a carnal sense, but in a spiritual sense. As we eat our food, we need our food to help us to live and to do all that we do. So we need the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we come and we partake of these elements as they are given to us, it is our spiritual food. It's a feast. It's a table where we eat. We don't eat carnally. If we come to the table hungry, we will leave the table hungry physically. What we eat at the table will not fill us, but in a spiritual sense, it will. If we come to him by faith, believing upon him as they did, they ate the bread and they drank the wine. Well, maybe there are some lessons we can learn. <clears throat> What's the first lesson when about the Lord's Supper? What is it teaching us? Well, surely, friends, we, are, uh, we have hinted that the principal doctrine it's teaching us is the substitutionary atonement by which Christ died for the sins of his people. We are to examine ourselves. We are to examine ourselves that we know something about this. What do we mean by the substitutionary atonement? Well, what we quite simply mean is Christ died in our room and in our place as a substitute. We know what a substitute is, surely. If we look at sport, for instance, there's a team of 11 players, 10 players, or whatever, and there's two or three substitutes there. One player gets injured, that player's taken off, and another player goes on and takes his place. He acts as a substitute. Well, that's what Jesus Christ did. He is our substitute. He suffered, he died in a Roman place. And friends, we must know this. This is ABC Christianity, but we must know it. Because this is what the Lord's Supper teaches us. The Lord's Supper then is to edify us. It is to encourage us. It's to build us up in our most holy faith. And that may not happen instantly. It may not happen as we actually partake of the Lord's Supper. Very often the blessing might follow later on, but if we truly come with faith, if we come with love towards the Savior, if we participate on it, looking for him to bless us, then we will be edified. We will be encouraged. Our Christian graces will grow and be strengthened. We will have a more 
productive Christian life. That's what it's there for. It is to encourage Christians, and it is to especially encourage weak Christians. Weak Christians. There, is, there are many Christians who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who should be at the table, but they don't go because they're looking for assurance. Well, every one of us should look for assurance. We should strive for it. But just because we don't have assurance of salvation, we should come if we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's not assurance that will save you. It's not assurance. It's Jesus Christ that saves, not assurance. And maybe we'll never get assurance if we'll never come to the table. If we can honestly say that we're looking to the Lord Jesus, that our hope for time and for eternity is fixed and focused upon our substitute, Jesus Christ, then we should come to the table. If we are ones who are not trusting upon ourselves, if we are ones that recognize that we are, we are sinners and that we have no hope in of ourselves, then we must come. Because that's what the Lord's table's there. And obviously, if we are strong Christians, if we fall into that category, and who does? We should be at the Lord's table also. Unless there's a sin in our lives that has to be dealt with. But as a warning, there is no automatic blessing in sitting at the Lord's table. Verse 17, for instance, Paul says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Now there's a warning to the Christian. Paul's not going to praise them for their conduct concerning the Lord's Supper. They were going to the Lord's Supper, but they were not right. They were not doing it in the right manner. And their coming together at the Lord's table was not for the better, but for the worse. Until they dealt with the matter, they would be far better to stay away from the table. And they should have taken heed to what he says, but let a man examine himself. If they were wise, they would examine themselves and they would deal with the problem. And then, as our text would say, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. This is what we're to, to do in self-examination. Look into our life. Look into our conduct. Look into our conversation. Look into our thoughts. See the sin, and we will see sin. We'll not see perfection. And if you see perfection, then you haven't examined yourself. A man is to examine himself. He's to see his sin, and he is to repent of it. And then he is to come to the table. But there's no automatic blessing 
if we do not come properly. None whatsoever. Another point, maybe regarding the Lord's table, it's not an issue with us, I know, but some people might say it to you. But the Lord's table is not for babies, and it's not for young children. And by that I mean it's not wrong for a young mother to take her baby with her to the Lord's table. What I mean is it's not for babies or for children to partake at the Lord's table. It's not. What does the text say? But let a man examine himself. Can a child properly examine themselves concerning these things? They cannot. We're not saying that, that children cannot be Christians. We're not saying that for one moment. But they have to come to an age, and the age varies from child to child, before they can come to the table and exa or examine themselves before they come to the table. It's not for young children. It is for those who can examine themselves in the light of God's word. I'm going to give you a quote here from a notable individual. <clears throat> See what you think of this. Quote, the communion season is the divinely appointed time for taking an inventory of our spiritual state, measuring ourselves by the divine standard, repenting of and forsaking what is contrary to God's will, and resolving by God's grace to live a life that will be pleasing to him. We have a communion season. It's going to begin tomorrow, all being well. And this gentleman here says that the communion season is the divinely appointed time. I really can't agree with that, to be quite honest with you. A communion season is a good thing, and it's an appropriate time to prepare ourselves for the Lord's table. But I cannot say it is divinely appointed. It is a good time. It is a tradition. It is a tradition that has served the church very well. And at the communion season, it's an apt and appropriate time for men and women, professing Christians to examine themselves. But I couldn't honestly say that it is divinely appointed. However, to examine ourselves is divinely appointed. And the season that we're going through gives us good opportunity to do that. And that's what we should do. And be sure, friends, just because we attend preparatory services, that is not self-examination. Let us not think that just because we observe the services that we have examined ourselves. Something more is required. Set aside time 
ponder, think, meditate. Surely we all want to benefit from this time. Surely we do. Of course we do. Well, we will benefit if we truly examine ourselves in the light of God's Word. And just finally, <clears throat> there's verse 29, for instance, after our text, but, for, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that wine, of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now this verse gives some people some consternation, and it may well be used to stop them from coming to the Lord ta Lord's table because if they do come in an unworthily manner, they are eating and drinking damnation to themselves. What's this talking about? Well, it's talking about coming to the Lord's table without due preparation. It's talking about coming in an unworthy manner. There is no one worthy to come to the Lord's table. None of us. Not in our characters are we worthy to come to the Lord's table. We're all sinners, and there are no exceptions. But what it's talking about here is coming without due preparation, coming in a loose and unworthy manner, that's what it's talking about. And just interesting, the word that is translated here, damnation, is krimna. Krimna. It means it can be translated judgment, condemnation, or be condemned. It's not always translated damnation, which is a very strong word. It's used 28 times in the New Testament. And 13 of these occasions, it's translated judgment. Why it was translated here, damnation, I don't know. Because that is a very strong word, and that can be off-putting to people. But the encouragement is, friends, we are to examine ourselves and not to come in an unworthy manner with lightness, levity, carelessness. Examine ourselves. Identify the sin, deal with it, and then come to the Lord's table. Self-examination. Amen.